And this week, we're going to be looking at something else from God's Word that I think is really important for us on the topic of what does it mean to be great? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What what does it mean to be great? There are people that when their names are mentioned, we automatically think of greatness. Sometimes they're just baked into the name, right? Like Alexander the Great, you know, we just know that. We don't even know what his last name was. I guess it'd be like of Macedonia or something. Um, but we think of him as Alexander the Great. Why? Because he was a great Greek emperor. We think of Alfred the Great of England or Catherine the Great of Russia. Or even we think about sports. There are sports figures that are associated with greatness. Can you imagine being Wayne Gretzky and having your nickname from the time he was just a young man as a hockey player being the great one? Uh, That kind of is a lot of emphasis on your ability. I have a friend who in junior high school, we were making props for uh, VBS we were doing, and he made a big sword out of wood, and, and he wrote on the side of his sword, he wanted to write Mike the Great, but instead he wrote Mike the Goat. We, uh, we made fun of him for that, and then a little bit later we found that the joke was on us, because now goat got turned around to mean something else, the greatest of all time. So here we are making fun of Mike the Goat, and Mike, all, Mike the Goat, of course, is you know, sitting back going, yeah, that's right, I'm the greatest of all time. Well, Mike wouldn't say that, but he could. If we want to start a debate, you can get guys talking forever just by bringing up the topic of who is the greatest. Who is the goat in soccer? Is it Pele? He just passed away just a few days ago. The great Brazilian soccer player. Is it Messi? The great Argentina player who just won the World Cup. In basketball, is it Jordan or is it LeBron? In football, is it Brady or Montana? Greatness matters. Every generation wants to understand, define, and achieve greatness. Or if they can't achieve it, they at least want to idolize it and be around it. There are whole industries that exist to simply personify greatness and let the rabble bask in the manufactured glory. Wealthy, buffed up, confident men with fancy cars and women on their arms get on YouTube and TikTok and they lecture young men about being confident and seizing greatness so that they can be just like them with all the sex, money, and body confidence that that person has. But is that greatness? For some of us, the answer is obviously no. Maybe you feel like that time of your life has passed you by. It was no longer trying to achieve that type of greatness. But maybe other kinds of greatness you wonder about. Should greatness be something that Christians even care about or are pursuing? We serve a God who is great. We sang about Him this morning. We read about Him this morning. We prayed to Him this morning. He is perfect in splendor and majesty. He does everything decently and in order. All his works have excellence over everything. It is clear that God calls his people to a type of greatness as well. Remember what he said to Abram? I will make of you a great nation. He says of the Messiah, his name will be called Wonderful. Just like what Pastor Ian said last week, we are being changed from glory to glory or to ever-increasing glory. That is greatness. So I think it's safe to say that whether you are 21 or 91, 
Greatness is something you should pursue. The question is, what sort of greatness? Christians are called to pursue greatness by modeling the service of King Jesus. The Apostle Peter was an interesting character in the Scriptures. He's one of the first disciples called to follow after Jesus. And he has a front row seat to the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in many ways, according to historians, church historians, some of them already dating back to just within a few years of the writing of the Gospel of Mark, record that, that Peter was the main source for Mark as he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark and Peter were close, and Mark would, went to Peter, apparently, and asked him questions about what it was like in those early days of ministry. He recorded his responses. Each of the Gospels reflect that greatness was on the minds of the apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all talk about this. But Mark brings it out most clearly. What I want us to see first of all here in the text that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at two texts in Mark, and then we're going to look at a text in 1 Peter, is the example of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, you could turn in your Bibles there, Mark chapter 1. We'll begin right away in verse 1. We'll just touch there and, and see something, and then we'll move on to Mark chapter 9 and then Mark chapter 10. But in Mark chapter 1 in your pew Bible, if you would like to look there, it's on uh, page 858. We read this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After he comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was, in, he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Each of the Gospels deals with the beginnings of the life of Jesus. Mark, just like we looked at a couple weeks ago in John, makes a connection between the new work of Jesus that we read about in Isaiah this morning and the work of creation itself. Remember in John, how it started in the beginning was the word, and our minds immediately go to that other famous in the beginning? Mark does the same thing. It just doesn't look exactly like that. He talks about the beginning, and our minds go, the beginning of what? 
Beginning of the new thing. What new thing? The beginning of the good news of the Messiah, the Son of God. Just like the Holy Spirit came and hovered over the waters of creation, we see the Holy Spirit coming and hovering over the Messiah as as he's beginning his work to make all things new. The good news of Jesus is the beginning of universal implication. It is impacting an event as the creation of the world. Jesus comes into the world as many different things. He comes into the world as the Son of God incarnate, the, invi- the image of the invisible God, the Logos. He comes to the Jews as the rightful heir of the throne of David, the Messiah. He is the branch from Jesse's stump. He is a son after the heart of King David. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He comes into the world as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world as our Savior and our propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath against us. He comes into the world as the representative leader of both Israel and of all humanity as the prophet that was prophesied that would come that is greater than even Moses. Romans calls him the second Adam. He is our Lord and he is our example. Notice verse 7. And this was the message of John. This was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 11, Jesus said there was no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet John says, compared to Jesus, his greatness compared to mine, I'm not even worthy to get down on my, on my knees and, and untie his muddy shoes. John is saying something dramatic about who Jesus is. If John is the greatest of the prophets, Jesus is so far above him. And so when Jesus enters into the waters of baptism, We ask the question, what is Jesus doing? He's not entering it to be washed of his sins. All of Israel is going out. It's kind of like reimagining the entrance into the promised land. They go out into the wilderness. They come back into the Jordan. They come out washed of their sins and enter back. Jesus is not doing that because he's sinful. No, Jesus' baptism is both representative and is exemplary. He's an example. To be a disciple of Jesus, then, is to be a follower of Jesus. When Jesus says to Peter, after his baptism, Peter, follow me, he is offering an invitation to all of us. Greatness in the kingdom of God starts with following. And Jesus is a king who is desiring to be followed. So that leads us to this question, then. If Jesus is an example to follow, in addition to being all the other things that Jesus Christ is, what does Jesus expect of his followers? Now, when we think about following, our modern world maybe gives us a lot of ways to think about that. There's active following and there's passive following. An example of passive following would be maybe you have an Instagram account and you follow some people. I can't remember who I'm following. I don't really go on there very often, but I know there's people that I follow. 
What does that mean by follow them? It just means that I kind of like to see their pictures of what's happening in their family once in a while. Or maybe you follow someone on Twitter, or maybe you follow an athlete. Yesterday, we had, uh, Cayman had a friend over, and we were talking about sports, and he mentioned how he is a, a fan of the Raiders. But the Raiders game was on, and he wasn't watching at all. He was a follower of the Raiders, but not really that much of a follower. And there's a, a way that we follow things very passively. We're kind of following it. We're just saying, oh, yeah, I'm with that. You follow Christ that way. Yeah, I'm with Jesus. I'm a Christian. There's another kind of following, and that's active following. It's the difference between general interest and the other involves participation or even imitation. It's like the difference between liking a TV show, and I noticed some of our people, uh, the Scots, went to Universal Studios, I think, and they dressed up, right? Because they, they, they don't just follow it. They're into it, right? They're into the show that they love. Hope I didn't embarrass you there. There's a difference, right, between following and following. Can we understand the difference? The difference. Christ doesn't just call us to just passively like him. Don't just give Jesus the thumbs up or the star or the, the follow on Instagram. He wants us to walk with him, to be with him, to do what he commands us to do. And it's here that we see not just the example of Jesus, but the greatness of Jesus that we're called to emulate. The story goes on, and if we fast forward a little bit to Mark chapter 9. It says in verse 30 that they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching the disciples and he said to them something really serious here. Listen, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. This is a big deal. Jesus telling them something that's going to have big implications for them in their life and their ministry and, and everything else that was going to follow. It was going to be the moment of their life. It says, but they did not understand what he meant. They were afraid to ask him about it. And they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, they asked him, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about, notice this, who was the greatest? Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he took a little child. The word here is probably like a toddler. Imagine a dirty little toddler with snot running down their nose and dirt all over their faces. This isn't like a great, cute, little, perfect little cherub baby that we might see on you know, some TV show. This is a dirty rug rat from the streets. Jesus takes him, puts him on his lap, and says, takes the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Set aside for a moment the absolute absurdity of the disciples upon hearing that Jesus is going to be crucified and, and give his life uh, for sin. Arguing about greatness right after Jesus talks about this. Set aside that absurdity. We have to notice this. The greatness was on the disciples' minds. And why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't they be thinking about greatness? Wasn't Jesus Christ bringing in a kingdom after all? 
And when kings establish their kingdoms, kings distribute power. There's people who reign after them. Somebody was going to get to be the assistant regional manager in Jesus' kingdom. Why not John? Why not James? And when Jesus presses the question, they get shy because they know how foolish, in light of who Jesus was, their arguing was. When he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Jesus takes the conversation away from ruling and kingdoms. And he brings it all the way down. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant, the diakonos. That's where we get our word deacon of all. As if his point wasn't clear enough, he takes this child that we saw before. He points out to say, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. There are reasons why a few people shouldn't minister to children. I understand that. But if you want to be great, serving the little ones is a great place to start. The disciples here were not getting the message. And maybe that's why we struggle with getting the message. So let's flip ahead to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and 45. It says in verse 35, when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. See here, the the conversation is getting a little more sanctified. It's not just about power. Now it's about, you're going to get glory when we just want to be with you in that. Like, okay. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am being baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus is saying something pretty profound to them that I'm not sure they're catching, that they are indeed going to suffer like Jesus suffered. They're going to take the cup of God's wrath like Jesus did. They're going to, under well, let me back that, not exactly like Jesus did, but they're going to go through the, the suffering that Jesus went through. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave, the bondservant of all, the doulos of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But so many, and some days I'm first of those, misunderstand is that greatness isn't about getting more. It's about giving more. It isn't about the opportunity to be served, but it's about the privilege and responsibility to serve. I can remember when my kids were young and uh, I delighted that they loved to serve. And I remember, you know, 
I wanted the remote control or I wanted something from the fridge. And I'd say to my little one, you know, go over and get the remote control. And they'd bring it to me or go over and get something from the fridge and they'd go give it to me. And I thought that was wonderful. I loved it. I loved being served. And I remember my wife in a, in a clear moment to me said, Scott, what are you teaching them? You're teaching them that it's all about you and serving you. And it's like, yeah, that's so right. I loved having my kids serve me. That isn't a great example at all. It's not about getting more. It isn't about training people to serve you. It's about serving others. It's about being willing to lay down your life for someone else. The powerful in this world brag about what they have. They love to talk about all that they've got. They'll inflate it. They'll brag about it. They'll post pictures with it. They'll even pay other people to let them take pictures with their stuff because their, their own stuff isn't good enough. They show off that they have more. They like to brag about what they can get away with, how they can manipulate power, how they can do whatever they feel like doing, how they can get the girl or get the guy. But when we look at our Savior the King of kings who comes down from heaven to earth and we look at his greatness, we see our Savior who saw his power as an opportunity to maximize blessings to others. Many years later, after the events of this story, Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He's resurrected from the dead. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. They're sent out in mission all over the world, starting churches and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now Peter is a much older man. And he sits down to write a letter to the scattered churches. He's now the spiritual leader of the scattered and persecuted church. Still in a very humble position, but he's the leader after many, many trials and, and turmoils even in his own life. And as he's writing his letter, he writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 4 about how to actively follow Jesus. And in the remainder of our time, I want us to look at what he says as advice. That we can think about how to take the command of Jesus to be great by serving and flesh it out in our lives. He writes these things in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you, listen to that, each of you. Now we want to hear it and go, other people, no, no. Each of you, okay, take your finger. And when I say each of you, point it at your own chest, right? Each of you. Okay, good, we got it now. Should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory in the power forever and ever. Amen. As someone who's been in ministry for a long time, I've been in ministry over 20 years. I know for some of you that doesn't seem like a long time, but for my life by proportion, it's a long time. 
we recognize that there is a danger in Christian ministry of burning out. I've talked to some of you about ministry, and there was a time when you were very active in ministry, and it burned you out. You felt used and abused and worn out. There's something about the grind of being available and being committed and serving others that, frankly, makes you feel like a servant. You're tired, and you can't do it anymore. I understand that. I think Jesus understands that. I think there's two different ways that we can get burned out in ministry. We can get burned out through motivation, and we can get burned out through expectation. Expectation says this, that only the experts should serve. So two things happen. Maybe we look at ourselves and go, I'm not an expert. So I stand on the sidelines, and I watch those people who are good at stuff do things. What happens then is that those people who feel like maybe they have God gifts end up doing all the work, and they get slowly burnt out. You've heard churches talk about the 80-20 principle. It's actually something that's true in so many different situations, but 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That is often true in churches. So because of an expectation of I'm not good enough or someone else has got that handled, I step back and watch other people serve. That leads not only to me not using the gifts that God's given me, but it leads to their burnout. Or maybe you feel on the other side that you're the only one that can sustain this ministry. If I don't do it, it's going to fall apart. And so you serve and serve and serve in your own strength. And what happens is you find yourself burning out and no longer having joy in ministering and serving Jesus. Expectation burns yourself out. It burns others out. But motivation, expectation burns others out. Motivation burns ourselves out. Can I get burned out doing the things I love? Sure. I can get burned out doing the things I love. But it takes a lot longer. When I love doing something, it's amazing how I can do it and go and go and go. And I don't want to stop. I love doing it. But doing things that are outside of my giftedness and my love and my calling are much, much harder for me. Maybe you've experienced that. I can get burned out doing the things I love, but I can go further and harder and happier with the right motivation. The role of pastors that Ephesians 4 talks about is equipping, isn't just doing ministry, although I have ministry to do. But a role of pastors in Ephesians chapter 4 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When you you evaluate my job, you might say, well, you know, like he led music on Sunday, C minus. He preached on Sunday, B plus. Uh, That's his work. Good job, pastor. Thank you. But the word of God says one of the things you should evaluate your pastors on are, are they equipping the people to do the ministry? That's a hard thing. It's much easier for me to preach than it is for me to equip. That's a hard job. It's difficult. It involves people and relationships and knowing gifts. That's one of the things that God gives for pastors to do. So I want us to just look at, at, at six things here, six keys to serving that we see here in 1 Peter 4. And this is part of my job is I want to help equip you to serve faithfully and to be great like Christ is great. The first thing that Peter points out is this. Look prayerfully for ways to serve. He starts out by saying, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. It's not only talking about praying for service. He's talking about being a people who are full of prayer. 
If we're called to be a people of prayer, if we look prayerfully, if we're aware of the situation and we, our eyes are open by spending time with the Lord in prayer, we're going to be a people who find things to serve. Look prayerfully. The second is this, star in your role. I love this phrase. I'm borrowing it from my favorite basketball team, the Milwaukee Bucks. When they won the championship a couple years ago, and I know some of you are like, oh, here he goes again. But, but when they won the championship a couple years ago, they, they won with one star player and a bunch of complimentary players. And they had great unity on the team. Like you see in other teams are fighting about who's, who's the best players and who's getting the playing time. And a phrase came out that kind of leaked out of the team that I love. And it said, we just want all of our players to star in their role. What does that mean? It means that not everyone is the same. This is what 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing about in the letter to the, to the Corinthians, the first letter of the Corinthians is this, that not everybody has the same gifts, but every believer has a gift. Did you know that you have a gift from the Lord that equips you to serve in some way God's people? Did you know that? You don't have to be great at preaching. You don't have to be great at singing. You don't have to play the guitar or the piano or any of those kind of things. But there is something that God has made you to do that will bless this church, that will help the expectation of others, and that will fuel your motivation to follow Jesus. So star in your role. How do you find your gifts? That's a big question. If you ask someone, what's your spiritual gift? Sometimes people take a test as they think that the person who made this test can help me to discover my gifts. Well, if that's how you found your gifts, that's fine, I suppose. There's a better way to find your gifts, and that is by serving within the context of your church. As you serve, you find yourself being effective in certain ways. Other people come around you and confirm that. I remember being a young teenager and starting to teach the Bible a little bit in junior church and kids Sunday school classes, and people are like, you know what, you... You're a good teacher. Am I? I don't know. <laughs> kept working on it, kept serving. And, and people would say, this is something you should continue to do. Pastors and leaders in my life would encourage that in my life. The way you do that, though, is by serving. If you're just sitting there on Sunday morning, and I see your face, and we shake hands, and you go your way, and that's all I know about you, I can't help you know how to serve the Lord. It's by jumping in and trying and maybe failing. Maybe feeling a little like, ah, this isn't what I like to do. Maybe you need a little bit more coaching. Or maybe you need to go into another area. It's by serving and starring in your role. We need a church full of people who are pursuing Jesus by modeling service. Star in your role. The third is this, let love cover it. I love this, this, this little challenge from Peter as he says, let love cover uh let me, I just lost my place. Above all, let love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. When we love one another, when that is our motivation, when we come to the service because we love the Lord and we love his people, I tell you what, the teachers who teach your kids, they love those kids. And that's part of what causes them to stay up late and studying, come in early to teach them. Sometimes come and there's an empty classroom, but they were ready for them because they love the Lord and they love your kids. When we have love in our hearts, we're able to cover up stuff that sometimes is frustrating to us. Someone hurts you, well, I love them. I'm not going to take it to heart. We're serving, we're serving out of love for Christ and love for others. The more I love, the more I'm willing to deal with. So let love motivate you and cover up 
and allow you to continue to serve without grumbling and complaining. He also goes on to say we're stewards of God's grace. What does that mean? It means that God has poured out his grace and we don't get to just keep it for ourselves. We're stewards to distribute God's grace and to serve other ones with God's grace. As it says in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We go on to see that it's God's strength, not your strength. Look at verse 11. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides. We need breaks. We need rest. There's a reason why Jesus, in the, minist- in the middle of his ministry, often retreated with his disciples, his close friends, and rested. And then went back into the fray and then retreated and rested. Because our strength is limited. We cannot serve in our own strength. We must serve in the power and the strength of the Lord. We need to step back sometimes. We need to take that refreshment. We need to get the rest. That means that you need to prepare on Saturday for Sunday. It means if you know you've got ministry ahead, you don't burn yourself out through all sorts of other activities, but you prepare yourself and your body and your spirit to do the ministry God's called you to do. Then you take strategic retreats. In a couple weeks, I'm going to go away for about 12 days, and uh, I'm going to miss one Sunday. I'm going to miss most of two weeks, and I I consider it work. I'm going to be reading and studying and praying and preparing and writing for the future. Something we need to do to be able to come back to the ministry that God calls us to do with strength. And how do we do this? We do it for the glory of Christ. Our greatness is pushing us to give glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Where are you serving? Some of you are serving a lot. Some of you are serving very little. Some of you are serving not at all. As we go to the time of reflection, as we come to the table of the Lord and we're reminded of the grace that's given to us through Jesus Christ, ask yourself, what can I do? Some of you are like, man, when I was young, and by young you mean like 60 or 70, I was really active and I did all these things and I worked in the nursery. And you're like, I'm at a stage of life where I can't do that anymore. Well, you know what? Serve where God's called you. Maybe your new ministry is a ministry of prayer. I know some of you that do not have the physical capacity you used to have, and yet you've made prayer your ministry. Others of you have made encouragement your ministry, and you're just as busy now in those ministries as you used to be teaching Sunday school or working in the nursery or or being a deacon or something like that. Come talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to be able to sit down with you and say, you know what, here's a ministry that needs to be done. We've got lots of ministries. We have outreach to the Afghan community that we'd love to continue to do more of. We're working on the Afghan house. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, there's an opportunity for some of you. Come and join us, and we're going to unload sheetrock. That is a way to do ministry. We have needs in the children's ministry. We have seven people in the pipeline. We're excited about that, but we need more. If If you would pass a background check, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you would love to serve, we need teachers and we need helpers in our children's ministries. We need that. We're going to be starting a new ministry, reaching, helping homeless people and and providing a safe place for them to park. And there's lots of ways that we can minister to them around that. Maybe that's a way that you can serve. 
Maybe you want to come. We have people who come and just volunteer to help clean and help pull pull weeds in the flower beds and try to make this place beautiful and honoring to the Lord. There's ways you can serve like that. Or maybe God lays on your heart a ministry that we've never even thought of before. And you're going to be the one to help push the boundaries of the gospel in our community because of a gift that God's given you. Come talk to us about how you can serve. But everyone has a role to play. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word. And God, I thank you for the example we have in the person of Jesus Christ who took on human flesh and was our example and fulfilled our righteousness and showed his faithfulness to us. So Lord, help us to respond by being faithful servants and responding in service to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.